Hi, this is Bakes, Kevin Baker with Bakes Takes. Right now it is um, on the 8th of July. Hope you had a great July 4th weekend. And I know that most of the time I'm looking forward and trying to find actionable items, but I'm going through my pile from the weekend, and the Wall Street Journal produced their 130-year retrospective, if you will. And I'm struck by a couple of things. I have to laugh, otherwise I'll cry. April 13th, 1935, President uh, Firm for Social Security Bill. This is obviously FDR. And... uh, the editor's note is uh, the the federal government says this will be a half a billion dollars and that the whole Social Security program is the ultimate answer to balancing the budget. This is 1935. Remember this. The president apparently meant that the Social Security program, once in force, would tend to prevent recurrence of a situation where the federal government must maintain the unemployed and take care of old people unable to find work in depressions, thus reducing the amount of federal appropriations, the maintenance of the purchasing power through unemployment, compensations, and benefits would avert huge expenditures for relief. And then, four or five page later, they go to 1975. This is 40 years. And I'm flipping through the pages right now, and I apologize for that. Um, Buffeted by the recession... The system's retirement and disability trust funds totaling $45 billion will begin dwindling this year for the first time in a decade. Outgo will exceed income by as much as $2.5 billion. Deficit is expected to leap to $6.1 billion next year and $8.3 billion in the following year. In the short range, many figure the funds need at least $7 billion a year or 10% increase in revenue some actuaries contend that some could be $10 billion. And then they finish off with the Ways and Means Committee has established a series of investigating task forces and will hold public hearings later this year. Uh, the bottom line is that if anybody from the government says they're here to help, uh, run, grab your wallet and run the other way. And they are uh, not good at being stewards of money. And I'll be less uh, political down the road. But it's 40 years, and those are facts. This is again from the 130 Years Wall Street Journal section of this weekend, March 21st, 77. Uh, Money managers try to keep portfolio balances in line with S&P index ratios, a way to uh, attain mediocrity. And as we've seen with the the dawn of indices, uh, index funds, and um, ETFs, that has played out, frankly. And then this is from uh, November 20th of 1987. Uh, I went through 87, so I uh, have a soft and or hard spot for this. But uh, Terrible Tuesday, October 20th, 1987. Uh, the previous day, October 19th, the Dow plunged 508 points. But on October 20th, it faced one of its gravest crises. Stock options and futures trading all but stopped during a crucial interval on Tuesday. Major stocks like IBM and Merck, there were no buyers. Only the intervention of the Federal Reserve, the concerted announcement of corporate stock buyback programs, and a mysterious movement and possible manipulation of a little-used stock index futures contract saved the markets from total meltdown. So here we are in 2019, and the Fed is powering everything, and uh, the seed was probably planted 
back in 1987 is my guess. More to come. This is from Monday's paper, July 8th, 2019. Manufacturing Reliant Copper Weekends, the Wall Street Journal, to be fair. Uh, Amrith Ramkumar, I hope I'm pronouncing that name correctly, but the chart is even better than the text, and the text is excellent. But make a long story short, declines in recent weeks have put the metal farther behind other risky assets. And copper used to be called Dr. Copper, the best economist going, because it beat most of the economists. And copper is in a clear downtrend uh, while the indices tickle new highs. And that is probably going to be resolved to the side of copper, not the indices, but we'll find out. It could be different this time, but it's worth uh, noting on page B9 on Monday. Take care. Bye now. Here's what we saw on the charts this week. We is me. Who am I kidding? Uh, the Most charts uh, look pretty good. Now, it's July 4th. Everybody goes away to the Hamptons and, and, and elsewhere. So the volume goes down dramatically. And so now here it is the 8th, Monday. And we'll see where the real trading fleshes out. I don't have any conclusion to that right now. But you, I go through 2,000 charts a month, and I see most charts are looking pretty good, admittedly with volume that's anemic around the period I just mentioned. So I pay attention to volume. Maybe I'm old school. Maybe I'm a dinosaur. I don't know. But we're going to learn a lot this week. Now, having said that, um, uh, munis... High-yield munis, like the, the MFS High-Yield Muni Trust, CMU, looks really good to me. Caveat, it could be just a chase for yield with the 10-year getting down to under 2, but so be it. It is what it is. Uh, gold, GLD, this sounds ridiculous because it's so basic, but with $13 trillion of the world's, cur uh, uh, world's bonds, uh, uh, yielding less than zero you pay them to to let them hold your money gold with a zero interest rate looks really good it's decisively broken around above 1300 in the case of the the gld the spider gold shares were at 131.29 we're pulling back today on really low volume it looks classic to me um the uh uh nuveen enhanced muni value fund nev uh again Anything in munis looks okay, and I would say that's what it is, okay, um, but not terrific. PHYS is the, is the Sprott Physical Gold, smaller, less liquid gold ETF, but looks really good, in my opinion. And stocks do too. I don't want to be bearish, but stocks look okay, extended, on low volume, and we'll see what happens as, as everybody comes back with their, their checkbooks. The Sprott Gold Miners ETF, SGDM, uh, is doing what you want, up volume on the uh, uh, being bigger than the down volume, and uh, that, and I can't argue with, with Bitcoin, although all I see is the grayscale Bitcoin uh, GBTC. I don't yet understand entirely the relationship between Bitcoin and the GBTC, what's in that, so... Uh, don't do anything with this but as liquid as the day is long it looks like it's in a rip-roaring bull market and with the Chinese turmoil and and 
is certainly the Hong Kong turmoil. Folks are trying to get their assets into other places, and Bitcoin is a terrific place to do that. And I think we're seeing that um, as we speak. So uh, more on the charts later, but that's what I have for now. Reading over the weekend, Barron's page five, Andrew Barry's uh, article, Has the Market Already Voted? And they have, in my opinion, uh, to quote Greg Vallier, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, I hope I am, a veteran Wall Street analyst, Trump must be smacking his lips. The Democrats want huge new federal programs, higher taxes, more regulation, federal aid for illegal immigration, and perhaps more damaging. Their dystopian view of the country seems wildly exaggerated as the unemployment rate sits at 3.6%. Uh, The stock market determines presidencies, not the other way around. I believe this. I've seen this for years. FDR had 3.5 terms, whatever the number was, because he took over in 1932 when the Dow was at 42 and it looked like the world was going into into the abyss. And um, uh, the market uh, barely paused when, when Kennedy was shot. Uh, it obviously hated Nixon and hated Ford and, and, and hated Carter. And frankly, there's no human being on the planet that could have made it through that with the Dow getting crushed to, to appease people. So the stock market is, is a reflection of social mood. The social mood is perhaps negative on the, the, the political front, but on the economic front the stock market is telling the tale we're in a year and a half away from the election and unless something dramatic happens trump is the winner you may disagree with his politics you likely do and you may not like how he communicates things but if the market's up he wins period uh, it worked for Clinton. It'll work for him. Uh, with uh, reading Barron's over the weekend, Matthew C. Klein's article, The Economy, it's on page uh, 18, The Fed versus the Markets. And what struck me was in the past, and this is what I believe, is that you, you look at what happened in the past, and if we're near that area in the present, Pay attention. It might be a little bit different this time, but probably not by much. That's my experience and intuition. Fed officials dismissed warning signals from the inverted U.S. yield curve in 89, 2000, and 06, 07. For those of you playing along at home, those were horrible times to be buying stocks, just for what it's worth. Uh, And they dismissed them for various technical reasons. Each time was followed by a recession. Here's my other point. I don't care about recessions, I care about losing money. And so there's two different things. There's the economy and there's the stock market. And the stock market predicts the economy, not the other way around. So when we're in this area, it just pays it it makes sense to pay attention to these um the prior signals. I'm also struck by Tech Trader, uh Ty Kim's again I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, the first name. Um And this is a point where people love to be trust busters and and think that everything is standard oil, and I'm probably dating myself by that reference. But uh, Amazon is taking over the world and everything's horrible. Well, and then comes Shopify. Shopify's merchants want to compete on the same service level as Amazon, but do not want to give up their buyer data. 
their branding experience or ultimately their business. And take a look at, at, at Shopify, S-H-O-P, and it has been an absolute monster of a stock. So as oil dwindled into oblivion, shale and fracking, frankly, solve that problem. And do nev- never underestimate American ingenuity. There is almost no fortress that's impenetrable, and it bears watching. And then I love Jim Grant. Um, we're not friends, but he goes by James Grant, but I called him Jim in this case. Uh, very bright guy. Uh, not a lot of fun at parties, but here he is on page 22. I don't know that about the party thing, by the way, but he seems like a very somber individual. But he has a great chart, A Lot Can Go Wrong in a Century. And he talks about Austria issuing 100-year bonds at 1.7%. Sorry, 1.09%. 100 years, you're locked in, you get paid 1% a year. And then he goes back through the past 100 years and shows that uh, there was ridiculous money printing back in the uh, uh, in the early 20s where inflation went to 2,600%. And, oh, by the way, Hitler took you over in 38, 39. So to think that there's 100 years of, of any kind of certainty is ludicrous. And at 1%, uh, I don't know what's going to go wrong, but something will. And... Um, Caveat emptor. It is uh, the weekend. I'm reading the Wall Street Journal weekend edition, July 6th, 7th. And uh, uh, U.S. employers added 224,000 jobs to payrolls in June. That's a bit more than people expected. And the argument is, oh, well, we're gonna, that the Fed's going to have to raise rates. Uh, the economy is not the stock market. And these economic indicators... I think are great talking points for people, but if you can find someone who can tell me how they made money off of these, I'd love to meet them. I doubt they're out there, but bring them on. That'd be awesome. Um, So, yes, the Fed might not lower rates as soon as people think, but, I mean, we're talking about, you know, a sequence of events that I don't have a clue about and no one else does either. So uh, I am just going to uh, keep uh, reading my charts and doing my work. I hope you are too, and I hope you're having fun. As you know, The Economist is one of my favorites. This is July 6th, and I read it cover to cover, so you don't have to. And here's page 32, and I regret the fact that they don't include their... Uh, reporters, authors, because I really think they're terrific, so I hope someone hears this and and passes the compliments along. But, uh, this is from Banyan, B-A-N-Y-A-N, not his name, it's the working title of the article all the time, the column, Non-Working Level Talks. Uh, And I read, I watched a CNN video, which is why this is so important to me, and I cannot remember the name of the reporter. It will come to me. Uh, I want to say Ferez... Uh, but it it was excellent, and it colors my views on everything, because the bottom line is North Korea worked really, really hard to get nuclear weapons. They're not giving them up, period, in my opinion. 
Now, I don't know how to invest so that that works out, but I believe that when you work that hard over multi-generations to, to secure nuclear weapons, you don't give them up. And I didn't realize that there was, in essence, in this day and age, ways to keep your citizens from getting information. I thought the Internet was everywhere, and I'm wrong. So uh, I've learned something. Anyway, this is a quote uh, uh, from, from the author. Mr. Trump, in contrast, is always in search of a televised triumph. He does not hold the vileness of Mr. Kim against him, even though he has had his uncle half-brother, and many others killed. That's a fact. Uh, since his first clinch with the young dictator at a summit in Singapore just over a year ago, all the danger went away like magic. That is utterly absurd, and we all know that. To the killjoys, not only has Mr. Kim kept his nuclear arsenal, he has quietly expanded it since then to perhaps 60 warheads. Only the testing of nuclear devices and long-range missiles to carry them has stopped for the moment. So the fact that he, I think he's a cancer, we're going to see what he kills. That's my, my view. And then in Hong Kong, I'm fascinated by this, uh, protesters expose the fractured state of Hong Kong, but China's grip on the territory will only tighten with time. And this is page 33. And uh, I want to keep reminding people that the Chinese are communists and they behave as such and they don't like it when people see it. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. But it is ugly in Hong Kong and uh, how ugly it turns out to be eventually will be interesting. Um, and I, again, I don't have a, a way to say buy this ETF or sell this ETF in order to to profit from it but i find it interesting and it's one of these things that i think will go from the economist to the front page of your local paper takes from the economist uh, on page 57 and uh, again i wish they had the authors here but this is fascinating to me uh, you can borrow against your picasso i had no idea this existed uh, in 2017, it reached 17 to 20 billion dollars, up 13 percent from the previous year, and it is growing at a double-digit rate, according to this. And I guess my point is that you have a an illiquid, non-yielding asset with a very subjective value, based on the eye of the beholder. And people are borrowing against it. And it sounds like a bull market phenomenon. Because in the past, with baseball cards, with stamps, with rare coins, with tulips, when the it gets to the point you can borrow against something that can't produce anything, that's a problem... It might not be in six months, it might not be in six years, but boy, that sounds really, really stretched to me. And I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. This is page 58, uh, Bakes again from The Economist. And I'm st uh, stunned by this. I've heard it before, but it has to be true. 
The number of public firms in America has declined by more than a third since the 1990s. And private equity firms, this is from the Buttonwood column, by the way, private equity firms have $2.4 trillion waiting to be put to work. And um, that uh, uh, seems astonishing to me. Now, what does that mean? There's fewer public opportunities. The, the private opportunities come later, which is why you see Uber and Lyft acting badly when they come. And uh, we'll see how this plays out. It could be a trend. It might be temporary. But um, uh, we'll see what happens. I have no way for you to say, hey, buy this ETF or that ETF, but I will work on it. And I'm looking at, uh, again, in my pile, but from the Wall Street Journal on the 15th, 16th, actually, it's from a Seeking Alpha uh, article that uh, that cropped up, and a uh, pretty good depiction, and I'll put this in the show notes, I hope, but this is the longest bull market in terms of days ever, according to this, uh, over 300... 3,750 days. Uh, it's the longest. In terms of percentage terms, it's sort of middle of the road, but uh, FDR has the distinction of uh, having a 324% increase from 32 to 37. And oh, by the way, the stock market gave FDR his popularity and Clinton and Reagan, who are, who are uh, uh, three and two respectively in terms of uh, uh, percentage gains, and um, but Trump is is uh, his bull market, and again the bull market makes his popularity or lack thereof, depending how this plays out. But it is the longest in uh, in uh, history, and I just point out that this isn't the greatest generation coming back from the the war and buying. Uh, washing machines and Chevrolets with a nod to Alabama. Um, This is simply the Fed printing money until the banks didn't seize up. And and then all that excess liquidity is sloshed into into uh, into equities, so it's great while it keeps going. But the foundation is um, is uh, pretty sandy in my opinion, <clears throat> and uh, just that we're we're an inning eight nine or ten. It looks like uh, according to this. So uh, thanks a lot, and I'll talk with you soon. Bye bye. I found in my uh, pile pile here uh, my uh, dog-eared copy of William O'Neill's book, How to Make Money Selling Stocks Short. There's about a billion books written on how to buy stocks, but very few on how to sell them, and certainly fewer on how to sell them short. And I don't see this chart pattern very often, certainly with the 2,000 charts I went through this this past weekend. But I think it's instructive, and you'll find out that I talk about uh, your volume a fair amount. And this is the reason why, is that there are literally dozens of examples just in this book, and it's played out over, over my career, that... Um, uh, when you see stocks break moving averages, especially the 50 on big volume, and then you see feeble rallies on lesser volume, especially when they have three, four attempts to 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 have meaningful upside, certainly above the 50, 
And then when it when stocks meaningfully break the 200, which is used a lot by a lot of people, I understand that, but it's but it works. Uh, and I have in my show notes the example of Cisco back in 2000. The uh, overall market peaked out in March of 2000. It's a clear head and shoulders top in Cisco. And uh, you had three, four months to get out. And um, uh, bottom line is the, the stock, uh, you missed the peak probably at 80, give or take. But you could have been out with the, with the, some reasonable signals at, at 60, and the stock eventually fell to 12 uh, about uh, 18 months later. So that's down 80% uh, or more, depending on, on how uh, the sale went. So I just use this as a great example of if you see stocks acting like this, really ask some hard questions and uh, get the heck out of Dodge. Thanks. Bye.